who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. We're back together. We are back together again. If it sounds a little echoey, it's because we are in what will be our new recording room as soon as all of the furniture and everything is moved in. Yeah, it's a little bit... uh scarce sparse sparse is the word i was looking for indeed it's a bit sparse it is somewhat echoey in this room uh we did some audio tests and it didn't sound like it was too echoey but well, you sounded pretty good last week and you were worried about it then as well and <sighs> i didn't i didn't pick anything up on last week so madigan is also using a handy dandy lavalier microphone <laughs> this week because we were having some issues hooking up everything to my computer but you know what we're here we did it Welcome. Welcome. You know what? We're not looking for perfection. We're just here to get it done, you know? Yeah, I mean... Although we are both perfectionists. <laughs> we strive for the best. Yes, okay? exactly, exactly. But at the end of the day, we know getting you the episode is what's most important. Yes, exactly. Well, Miss Keegan, I have a feeling that both of us are going to have the same thing to talk yes. about as our... Now, probably, I, do, I do have two things, but... I have two things as well. Yes, I think that you and I both probably have the same main thing, and it would be hard not to, given that this week, rightfully, it has completely taken over the zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and that is that we have an update on the Free Britney movement. Now, if you are unfamiliar or you've been living under a rock, you can go and reference our Free Britney episode, which we released last November. So if you go and scroll to November of 2020, you will find our hashtag Free Britney episode. You really went back and looked for that. I did. I I did. (laughs) I even looked for the episode number, but then I was like, we're taking the episode numbers off. Yeah, I've gotten through, I think, the first 
like five pages of our episodes taking the numbers off. So some of them have numbers, some of them don't. I started a new job this week, so I've been a little bit all over the place, but I've started that process and it, it looks so weird. It does. And, you know, it's not arbitrary, listeners. You know, I understand that it would be easier for me yeah. to say, go back to episode X to find the free Britney episode. But something about the way that... Apple Podcasts has changed their algorithm, makes it harder to find episodes or, you know, it doesn't like pull them up on Apple Podcasts if if the episode number is in the title, which is yeah. stupid, but that's the way it is. So we are going back and removing all of our episode numbers uh, from our episodes. But if you're unfamiliar with this case and the details of it, feel free to go back and listen to that episode. Um, of course, a lot has happened this week. Yeah. And we're going to be chatting with you about that today. Yeah, but that episode is going to be a lot of the history behind it and talking about Britney Spears, for those of you who don't have you know, knowledge about who she is and what she's done in her life and what this conservatorship is and all of that stuff. So if there's any questions about any of the past stuff, all of that will be answered in that episode. But this week... Brittany uh, called in via like a FaceTime or a Zoom um, court hearing on Wednesday, if I didn't say that already, where she broke her silence and asked to speak publicly in the court. So I guess her father and her father's attorney have been the ones that have kind of made all of the hearings in the past private. Mm -hmm. um, and so with Brittany speaking up, she was saying for herself that she wants what she's about to say to be public. Yes, uh, and for good reason. And this was good timing. There's no doubt in my mind that it was very carefully orchestrated by the New York Times. Uh -huh. But earlier this week, the New York Times released an article that cited private legal documents stating that Britney has been trying to end her conservatorship because I, there's a lot of speculation. You know, even when we did our episode, we aired on the side of not fully knowing the entire situation or what's or how actually she happening felt about it or how she felt about it. Exactly. Um, but it, it came to light earlier this week in a New York Times article that she has actively been trying to end her conservatorship for the last like six years or so, yeah. citing mismanagement by her father and the extreme legal costs involved. So in 2016, there was a report where Brittany said that she felt the conservatorship had become an oppressive and controlling tool uh, against her and that the system had too much control. And she stated, I know we all remembered it was kind of the beginning of the, the hashtag free Britney movement, whenever people were like, she's giving us signs um, where she went away for a while and she said that she was taking a mental health break. Now she says that in 2019, she was actually forced to stay in a mental health facility and that throughout the last several years of being in this conservatorship, uh, she's been forced to perform against her will. One time she had to perform when she had 105 degree fever. Yeah, I actually saw somebody found the video clip. I saw where, it. Yeah, isn't it so sad where she's like talking to the audience and like saying how, oh gosh, it's really hot up here. Oh, you're helping me get through it. I've got 104 fever right now and everyone's like cheering and applauding and I'm just like, oh girl, no, just lay down. Well, it, it really goes to show you because you watch her you know, and her father compared her to like a racehorse that yeah. needed to be treated like a racehorse. And you can tell that that's how she's being treated. And that's how she's used to being treated. Because yeah. even when she was on stage, 
she's telling you the truth that like she's not feeling well, but she's saying it in su- it's in such a performery kind of like, oh, it's so hot in here, everybody. You know, yeah. we're gonna work through this together. I may have a fever, but I'm still here for you. And you know, exactly. it's, it's a spinning kind of thing. And you know, she talks about how she's been lying to everybody, saying that she's happy and saying that she's okay. And how, you know, she even used the phrase, fake it till you make it. And I think that that really says a lot to how she's been able to survive this. She's had to keep a positive attitude. She's had to spin it, not not for other people, but for herself to be able to feel okay. And to me, as much as it seemed performative to the audience... I can also imagine that she would be telling herself that too. Like, I got to get through this. I've got a fever, but you know what? I'm here. I got to do this. But inside, just absolutely. Well, and you don't. Try not to break. You don't have a choice because the truth of it is like, she's a prisoner. Like she doesn't get to make her own decisions. She compared what her father has done to her to sexual slavery, which, you know, I'm not saying that's correct or incorrect, but that was what she compared it to. Um, or no, not sexual. Yeah. Sex trafficking yeah. is what she compared it to. <laughs> and, you know, I, I cannot imagine what it is like to, because it's almost like she's been abducted without being physically abducted. Like her father has such a strong hold over everything she does. I mean, one of the things that broke my heart was when she was talking about the fact that, well, one, that she can't even like ride with her boyfriend in his car. And she, then, she can't even remodel her own kitchen. Yeah. Like her dad said that she was spending too much money when she wanted to restain her own kitchen cabinet. It's insane. Money she makes. Yeah. By the way, like they all live on the money that she makes. Exactly. So for him to say it's costing too much money for you to remodel your home, what it really means is I'm not getting to keep as much money. Exactly. But the thing that just really broke my heart was that she has an IUD Mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to have. She wants to start a family with her boyfriend who seems like he really, really loves her. And they've been together for like six years and they want to get married. They want to start a family. And and she's not allowed to do any of Mm -hmm. that. And then the other thing that was really upsetting to me was talking about the fact that she was put on lithium. Yeah. it really sounds like her dad and her therapist or her, or her psychiatrist or whoever was giving her these medication and giving her treatment was kind of in cahoots. Like apparently this um, therapist, she says, took her off of all of her regular medications and put her on lithium, which made her feel drunk and out of it. Like lithium is which probably the explains real it probably explains a lot of the, you know, quote unquote unusual behavior that totally. people have made note of in these videos. She doesn't even she's not even allowed to like keep her own phone. She can't post things that she wants. And I started watching throughout the quarantine. I was watching this guy. I wish I could remember the handle. If I remember it, I'll put it in the in the notes. But he's like a body language person, right? Ooh. And he watched a lot of her videos yeah. and kind of diagnosed, not diagnosed, but he was kind of like monitoring, analyzing her nonverbal behavior, yeah, right? Yeah, well, what would you say? And he was like, yeah, in a lot of these videos, she's glancing off to the side as though like to get approval from somebody like someone is it like on outside of the camera kind of like coaching her for what she needs to do for these instagram videos because she she doesn't get to post what she wants everybody makes fun of the fact that like 
oh, she's in her late 30s and it's so childish that she's doing all of these like clothing try-ons. And yeah. it's because she's not allowed to go anywhere and she doesn't get to decide what she posts, right? Yeah, like other honestly, people make like, those decisions for her. Yeah, and I do, you know, I'm I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not trying to diagnose her, but I have met a lot of people where they suffered trauma in their childhood and there is a part of them that kind of almost becomes stunted as well. So for me, when I was watching that, it um, I wonder if being under someone's thumb for 13 years, how much can you grow as a person and mature and all of that stuff when you're, it almost kind of seems like they're trying to keep her in that young well, they're treating her like a child. She doesn't get to do the things that an adult gets to do right. outside of make money. Through, and that's, she's gone through so much trauma that it's also kind of like, it, it would make sense to me if there was, if that was part of the childlike behavior as well, just because I've seen it in other people where there are certain ways that they speak or ways that they act where there is a certain reaction that they'll have as a result of their trauma. Sure. So, you know, knowing that she's in the conservatorship, that's something, again, not trying to diagnose her. It's just something that I find fascinating in psychology is how people can be stunted in such a way by their trauma. Yeah. And I hope that once she is able to hopefully get out of this conservatorship. I mean, the fact that she had her mental health team that was deceiving her, Mm -hmm. like she needs people who are going to help her recover and get better. Yeah. I mean, so of all the things, of course, the thing that struck me was the IUD, the fact that she doesn't have any body autonomy, Mm -hmm. which is really scary and sad to me. But outside of that, the other things that made me, first of all, the most sad was that I really feel like her family didn't protect her the way they should have. I mean, obviously her dad, and this is even what she says, her dad gets pleasure from controlling her. But outside of your dad, I mean, you had other people in your life, family members who should have been more active in trying to prevent this from happening. Um... And then the other thing, so that makes me very, very sad. Yeah. But the thing that makes me very, very mad is that because her family and her dad specifically and the other members of her conservatorship who are running things, because they get all of their money from her, um, she's not only footing the bill for her own legal expenses, she is footing the bill, paying for the lawyers and the media strategists for Jamie Spears's lawyers well, yeah because he's in charge of all of her money mm-hmm. so of course she's paying so for all she's stuff she's too. paying to defend the conservatorship that <sighs> she is trying to end one of the bills that she got from this legal battle from her father's team yeah. uh was eight hundred and ninety thousand dollars almost a million dollars oh, yeah, Brittany wanting to remodel her kitchen is too much money like, well fuck this is money you. well spent for him because it's to try and keep the, just, the money train rolling in. I just had like a mindfuck moment. Like when I step back and think about this whole situation, the fact that there is a grown woman who has worked her whole life. 39. Has, She's almost 40. She literally has, she can't decide anything. No. I cannot believe that this is a thing. And I'm so glad too that she brought up the fact that laws need to change with conservatorships like she was very very vocal about the fact that like this could really happen to anybody and that is so 
scary to me. And I'm sure it does happen. I'm sure it happens all the time to, 100%. to people who make a lot less money and are a lot less famous than Britney Spears. Exactly. You know? the, the reason we know about this is because it's Britney Spears. Like it, it makes you think about all the other people that are literally being held against their will. Maybe not physically restrained, but in any other way, they are completely restrained from living their lives. Well, and especially since conservatorships are more often than not used for people who have some kind of like mental um, issue, you know, so, or the elderly, people who are far more likely and easily taken advantage of, you know what I mean? So I can only imagine how often this happens to people. You know, I think that, I don't know if it was a conservatorship exactly, but I I remember um, with Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mom, um, this was the young girl who suffered from Munchausen by proxy by mm-hmm. her mother and mm-hmm. ended up murdering her and it's a whole thing. But I remember in her story talking about how, you know, even if she were to come forward and say my mom is doing this or that, she had made it so that anyone who listened to Gypsy wouldn't believe her. Right. So yeah. I wonder if there was some kind of legal thing in there too, because I can understand that feeling of being so trapped and not knowing how to get out of it. Obviously not that murder would be an answer, but it's, but it's it, crippling. Yeah. You cannot ask for mm-hmm. help because no one's going to believe you. And that is like, I have so many nightmares where I'm like screaming at people who like won't understand me mm-hmm. or won't listen to me. I can imagine life being like that absolutely yeah absolutely Mm. and i do know even with britney spears it's like because of that one you know her father is such a villain because he saw that one moment Uh where she was having a really hard time right and she did she even admits you know yeah it was a mental break for me because she was pushed too far right probably already by her father by everyone around her to the limit you know and she fell apart she had a breakdown and for a parent to look at that happening to their child and not say, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to protect my child from this situation, from this scary situation that they're in. And instead say, you know, I'm actually going to see this as an opening for me to take advantage of my child, to use my child for everything that I can get from my child. It's so despicable and gross. It's so backwards. Like it's so anti-parent. You know what I mean? Like I feel like when you see a child that needs help, your first instinct should be to love them and to want to make them happier and say, oh my gosh, you're having this breakdown. Like what, what needs to change? What do you need? Like clearly there's Have something Have I failed wrong. you? Have I failed you? Exactly. Because I think that for me as a parent, you know, I believe probably that I want to believe that most parents who put their kids in these situations to be performers are probably thinking they're giving them a great opportunity. I hope so. That yeah. they're, they're they're putting them in a position to to do to set them up for success, right? Yeah, or to do the thing that they really enjoy doing and right. not pressuring them to do it. And then seeing that outcome, you know, her having that kind of mental break, for me as a parent, I feel like it would make you think have I failed you, right? Did you need support from me that you weren't getting? Do we right. need to scale back? Do we need to pull back? What do you need from me? And yeah. that's not what he gave her. You know, he gave her just the exact opposite of that. You know, what, does her mother have any sort of like, because if her father can swoop in and get control of all of this stuff, is there any way for her mother to help her in this situation? I don't think so because her mother just came forward recently uh, and said, 
that she no longer supports Jamie, that she supports Brittany, that she feels like their relationship is toxic and sick. Uh, so she has, and she's the one who came forward with that quote saying that Jamie treated her like a show horse, yeah. right? And that he even said that to her, that Brittany is a show horse that needs to be treated like a show horse. So you know, fucking so, gross. And they have other children too. And I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, her siblings kind of seemed also like they weren't so willing to be honest or maybe that's really how they feel. I know her brother was kind of saying that or at least making it sound like the conservatorship was like a good thing for her. Well, her brother actually, from the prep we did for our last episode, yeah. he's the one who said she didn't want to be in it. That's right. So or was it Jamie Lynn Spears? Then? Jamie Lynn Spears made it sound like, you know, you you all don't know the actual situation of what's right. happening here. And, uh, you know, this mental health is complicated, basically, is what Jamie Lynn Spears said, which it's, it is, it is. but Man, the I truth of it is... I wonder if Jamie Lynn getting pregnant when she did with that Nickelodeon show saved her life, because she hasn't really been in the spotlight since. I wonder if her star started to go off, if maybe he would be wanting some control over her, too. For sure. I absolutely believe that's true. Oh, I so, Zoe 101. Oh, gosh, yes, of course. <laughs> And Crossroads and Jamie Lynn Spears played Britney Spears in Crossroads, the movie. I've never seen Crossroads. Oh my gosh, you should see it. I haven't seen most movies. I'm a horrible person. No, that doesn't make you a horrible person. (laughs) But we will certainly keep you all up to date on the goings-on of this situation. It's incredibly sad, you know, and um, I just, I hope the best for Britney Spears. I hope that she's able to live the rest of her life in peace and whatever kind of life that she wants because so many years wasted, not wasted because you know, it's her life, but also but being held back, not being able to live it the way that you want to live yeah, it. She's never full, full potential. But you know, I was actually just thinking on the flip side of that, you know, we talk about the fact that she's almost 40, but I truly hope that I'm going to say when this conservatorship ends that she can live the rest of her life exactly how she wants it. And then hopefully that can make up for the time that she went through a lot of pain. Well, and 40 is not old either. No, it's like, not. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, hopefully this is done and she, she still has many years left to be the person that she wants to be. And I just hope that she's able to figure it out for herself and live authentically and hopefully have all of us be able to see who this person really is too, because yeah. I would love to get to know the real Britney Spears. Me too. And I hope that she is able to reconnect with her children, yes. you know, and be able to be the kind of mother to them that I know she wants to be. I've so. heard that her kids are wonderful. They used to come into guitar, into a guitar center where Max used to work and Max met Kevin Federline a couple times. Too. Well, he said all of them were super nice. I bet they are. You know, yeah. we gave Kevin Federline a, a lot of shit and, you know, valid for the cornrows. Cornrows were bad, but and he was like, he just seemed like one of those that was like latching on and like in it for the fame of like being with Britney Spears. Little did we know that actually we needed to look a little closer to home to people exactly. who are manipulating Britney Spears, exactly. you know? Yeah, I guess like Max is like, yeah, seems like a decent guy. He's just chill. His kids are super well behaved. Yeah, that's nice. Which is saying something for kids in a music store. True. For them to be well behaved. You know what true. I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to just say this one quote before we move on to the next story, and that is from her hearing. So she actually spoke for a full 24 minutes. The statement was 24 minutes. And when she started speaking, I think she was so nervous. She was speaking at kind of breakneck speed, and uh-huh. the judge had to interrupt her. And, you know, the judge was like, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you, but 
you need to slow down because yeah. we're taking notes, you know, she's well, like, I'm that's sorry. What, I would be the same way. Like when I'm nervous, like I, I stutter, I, I speak really fast yeah. or, you know what I mean? I totally understand that. Yeah. But she, you know, throughout this 24 minute statement, she said, and I think that this is the most widely spread quote. She said, all I want is my own money and for this to end and for my boyfriend to be able to fucking drive me in his car. And honestly, I want to be able to sue my family. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, Fuck yeah. valid, absolutely valid. So fucking valid. So, you know, we're with you, Brit. Yeah, we are. Hashtag free Britney. <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing that I wanted to talk about today is Carl Nassib. So that was my other thing. I too. knew it would be. I have I have a few more things as well, but you know, um, Max follows. He's he's a big sports guy and big into football and all that. So he follows all the sports pages, and he sent that to me like as it dropped. And he sent me the video, and he was like, it was from Sports Center, and he was like, don't read the comments. Well, no, I read the comments. Yeah, um, and it's. You know, before we get into the story, I think, you know, this is a football player that we're going to be talking about coming out. He is the first active member of the NFL, player for the NFL to come out. There have been players that have come out after they've retired. Or before. Who? Michael Sam. That was what I thought. When I saw this and I thought, what do you mean he's the first? Because Michael Sam came out, and I'm, I'm going to talk about him a little bit in yeah. my notes, but Michael Sam came out after college, or he was actually outed and then came out, but he oh. it was after college before he was drafted, right before he was drafted, and so it actually really in- detrimentally affected his, his career. Well, see, that's the thing, and like... I feel, you know, when there is, when there are male dominated sports, I feel like there is still such this like old school mentality of like beating your boys down and making them tough and all this kind of stuff. And in a lot of people's eyes, being gay is not being tough and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like it's just such an old school way of thinking. And, you know, the comments just like keep them out of the locker room and all that kind of stuff just break my heart. So I want to get that out of the way so that we can talk about the good stuff. So let's talk about Carl. I have a little bit of both, okay? Because okay. <laughs> so on Monday, Carl Nassib is a 28 year old Las Vegas Raiders defensive end. He became the first active NFL player to publicly come out as gay. Asterix. He, well, it's true. It is the first active NFL player. But, well, and it was his, the other person you said was outed. Did they ever come out themselves? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. okay. So, um, so Carl Nassib, he did it on Instagram and he said, you know, I'm a really private person. I'm not doing this for attention. I'm doing this because I believe that representation and visibility are really important. And yeah. I think that that's incredible. I think it's incredibly brave, especially as you said, in a sport like football, which is so hyper masculine and so hyper heteronormative yeah. in every way, you know, that it's incredible and actually the response from the nfl nfl is shit right like and or as an, as an organization yeah. they're garbage but the response from other players and everything has been incredibly positive yeah which is a, a wonderful thing yeah but like i said and i'm not trying to rain on on this parade at all no but we need context it made me think about michael sam okay right because while Nassib is the first active player to come out as gay, he's not the first openly gay man in the league. Okay. Like Michael Sam 
was at the top of his game. He was at the top of the list for the first round of NFL drafts uh-huh. uh, when a major news outlet kind of spread that. He, so he didn't hide that he was gay in college, but it wasn't like open news to everyone. And then right. a, a major news outlet spread that right before drafts. Mm. And of course, backlash ensued. I remember this. It was in 2013. So it was like backlash, homophobia. Uh, Michael Sam's a black man. Um, and he was eventually drafted to the St. Louis Rams, but in the seventh round. So he didn't get picked up on first draft Wow! and he was only ever allowed to play on the off season or practice squads before being dropped from the team without a contract. Okay. And then he went on the practice squad for the Dallas Cowboys before eventually getting a contract with the Canadian football league Uh in Montreal. And so he became the first publicly gay member of the Canadian football league, but he was then dropped soon after. And they said, you know, it has nothing to do with racism or homophobia, but of course, you know. But if you go from being the number one draft pick, or a number one, or yeah, a number, like, you know, yeah. yeah. Like if you're if you are supposed to be like one of the guys, like the one to look mm-hmm. after, to go from that to not making it past a practice team and right. being cut by multiple teams, you can tell me until you're blue in the face that it ha- has nothing to do with racism and homophobia, and I'm sure that's what you're telling yourself. Right. But that's not the case. And the dialogue, again, it was a very different time, 2013, 2021, very different time. Yeah. But the conversation around it is very different from what we're seeing happening right now. Very thank much God. So. You know, thank God with, with Carl Nassib that he's not having to deal with that. Like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah. But I do I mean, think he it's probably in, is still dealing with a lot of, of course. hate mail and things like yeah. that. But he's not dealing with... Publicly, the, the kind of... Or the fact that... Or the fear of losing his job. Because that's the thing is like this isn't just like I want to play on this sports team which you are still you know valid and if you're kicked off of a team any sort of team for being gay obviously it's not a good thing but like this is his livelihood this is his job and he's putting a lot at stake by absolutely being open Mm -hmm. about who he is um, especially because the sports fans Oh, yeah. Are shitty as fuck. Yeah. They're and that's so why I think what he's done absolutely needs to be recognized because he didn't have to do it. Yeah. Right. You know, he he is, I think, on the last year of his contract, he could have just waited uh-huh. until he was, you know, out of the NFL to come out. But he chose to do it while he was still in the NFL. And I think that that is so commendable and so uh-huh. brave. And like, I'm really, really happy that he did it. Yeah. I want to say one thing really quick. And um he made a point in his video to say that, you know, again, I'm a private person, you know, this isn't about attention, but also he spoke about the fact that he hopes that these big grand coming outs don't have to be a thing one mm-hmm. day, that yeah. it doesn't have to be made into this spectacle. It's just who you are. And I think that that's a really, really great reminder because while it's so great to celebrate someone being themselves, the fact that we don't have to come out as straight, you know what I mean? Like you can still see that there's a discrepancy and it would be nice to see the day where it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight, you're just put on a football team and there's no assumptions made about your sexuality. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I do think though that there have been a number of responses to him coming out that are kind of like, Ugh, who cares? You know what? Whereas yeah. I, and I think, uh, gosh, what's his name on 
on Instagram. There's someone we follow on Instagram. He's amazing. I'll try and find the, the handle, but made an entire post about Matt this. Matt Ivy or whatever. Yes, yes. Yes, I love it. Is it, I, I, is it Roman numerals? It's I think it is. Matt, I'm so bad at the fourth, right? It's yeah. the I before the V. You subtract yes. one. Yeah. Matt the fourth. Yeah, if you don't follow him, like, do it. Yeah, and he made an incredible post about this, about yeah. like, the people who have been kind of like, why are we making a big deal out of it? Right. Whereas, yes, I hope we get to that point in society where we can, this doesn't have to be a thing. But it's more so that it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this thing where right. you're like, oh, you're so brave. But at the same time. But at the same time, we do live in a world where homophobia exists. I mean, a lot yep. of NFL players have come out and said like, oh, I was I was hurt by the insinuation that we wouldn't back our boy, that, you, that, you know, things are going to be different in a locker room whenever like we're all brothers and we don't care well, and I'm like well <laughs> exactly and there was someone on um Twitter LZ Ganderson said pointed out I'm seeing way too many who cares in a country that introduced more than 250 anti-LGBT bills mm-hmm. this year a lot of people care and as you saw in that in that um comment section yeah a lot of people care and so I think while I can't wait until we're to a point where this is all just so normalized and accepted and wonderful. We're not there yet. And so yeah, I think I was gonna in, say in the meantime, in the meantime, I think we need to say, we need to rally around him and support him and say, that's incredible. Yeah. And that is brave and commendable. And, you know, totally. But I, I just love that he was, that he brought that up, you know, it, because yeah. it, I do like that he's, you know, it, it was personal for him to come out. It wasn't about any other reason, especially because of the fact that he's still working in the job that he is. And I appreciated the fact that he is aspiring for a world that can look like that, where yeah. kids who like to play football don't have to be afraid to come out, but that's why we do our coming out episodes because it is something to celebrate. It is mm-hmm. something to be happy about. And I think that... And it is hard for a lot of people. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think... I mean, I can only imagine that for most people it would be difficult to come out even to the closest people in your life because we Let still alone. have such mm-hmm. a stigma um, around what that means right. for a person. And let alone on a public stage in, again, one of the most hyper-masculine, hyper-heteronormative uh-huh. um, fields we have, figuratively and literally, in this yeah. country, you know. Literally. I'm I'm worried for him when he plays. Like, I just really hope fans aren't booing him or you know, I hope acting his, horribly. It would probably be counter fans, yeah. But I, I, you know, people on the other side. Yeah. But I hope that his teammates really stand by him and support him and rally around him. Right. You know? Well, you know, and I, I don't want to make a direct comparison, but it does remind me a little bit of when Jackie Robinson was playing mm-hmm. and his teammates did rally around him and gave him support, but the fans did not. You know, I, I hope that we're living in an open mind, more open minded society than we were when Jackie Robinson was playing baseball. But that is something that I worry about for him well, being affected in. I do too. But seeing the difference, I have hope seeing the difference between, and granted, listen, we have a white man who was established in the NFL. It's different than than a man, a black man who's just starting out. And there are other things at play there, certainly. But seeing the difference between the way that Michael Sam had been treated and the way that Carl Nassib is being treated right now does give me faith and hope that it's going to 
work out better for him, right? right. That we're in a more progressive place as a nation than and we, we were. we are in more of a place of education where we have our smartphones and we have the internet where I feel like it's opened more people's worldviews on a wider scale than at the time that Jackie Robinson was playing. But uh, to me, that was just kind of a thought that popped into my head and I, I hope, I mean, it, his team has been so supportive on Twitter and social media and speaking up about their support, which I really appreciate, but it does worry me about how fans respond because that's the worst part of the sport, unfortunately. Like, the fans are fucking dicks. Sure, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, well, that was that was my notes as well. So we actually, like, Great. totally had a one-track mind with each other this week. Oh, well, I was about to say send in your coming out episode or stories, but that's not what we're doing. Listen anymore. to the coming out episode, which will there be you go. coming out this Monday. Yes, ex- exactly. Thank you, Keegan, for <laughs> yes anding me out of that situation. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you. And then also, if there's anything that you want us to talk about in these episodes, thing go- things going on in the news, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page you can rate and review us on our business page and chat with our other wonderful listeners on the group page do we have other things <laughs> i'm so out of it right now we have it's facebook okay. you can also rate and review us on apple podcasts thank we you keegan love it when you do that uh that is the best way for us to grow our business so please rate and review us on apple podcasts I think that's everything. I think that's everything as well. Thank you for, again, yes, handing me out of that whole situation. It's the new environment. It's throwing me, you know? No worries. I don't know what I'm doing. All right. Thank you so much for listening. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. probably heard the name Mary Queen of Scots and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like for instance did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language in my podcast vulgar history we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part mini-series about the fascinating life of Mary Queen of Scots Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. <laughs>